0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's
1: going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop them. Have you gotten wrong yet? Welcome into the Diamond Balls podcast on GoBalls247.com. I am Ben McKee, joined by Wes Rucker. We have plenty of baseball to discuss on the podcast. It has been a minute since we reconvened here on the pod. Tennessee has since beat Kentucky in a very important series to keep its hopes alive in the NCAA tournament. Tennessee beat Belmont on Tuesday night at Lindsey Nelson Stadium in the final regular season home game and then this weekend on Thursday night beginning on Thursday night Tennessee has a very important series at South Carolina getting underway and in less than a week we will be in Hoover technically in less than a week Tennessee could have already been one and done in Hoover because Wes and I are recording this on a early Wednesday afternoon for Tennessee's sake hopefully hopefully they're not one and done uh and Selfishly, for for my sake, I I hope that they don't go one and done because I absolutely love the SEC baseball tournament. I love Hoover. Well, when I say I love Hoover, not the actual town, but just the the SEC baseball aspect of of Hoover. I'd like to spend more than one day in Hoover. So hopefully Tennessee does not go uh, one and done uh, at the SEC baseball tournament. But first things first, Wes, that, that series win this past weekend against Kentucky was very, very Important and Sunday was ugly. Game three was ugly, but they looked pretty good picking up that series win for the most part. They did, Ben, and and I, I think what's interesting to me is you
0: know baseball is a sport where you can have um you can have really like good days or really 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 bad days in really good weeks, and, and I think that's something that for some people it's just kind of hard to put their minds around that, and I understand. I do understand that, but you can have a really terrible game, one of your worst games of the season. I would argue a game where they just didn't they didn't have a lot of luck, and in addition to not playing very well, they had zero luck in that game, and that happens. That's baseball, but it was a really good week for Tennessee. Like Tennessee went up in the polls. Tennessee helped its chances of hosting. I think a sweep really would have helped Tennessee's chances of hosting. Um, but just getting the series win was was big for for that, and now. Um, you know they, they gotta they gotta go find a way to play better on the road. But you can only play what's in front of you. And last week, and on Tuesday against Belmont, they got the job done.
1: They absolutely did. Uh, they they absolutely did. And uh, we will discuss at the end of the podcast our thoughts on Tennessee's hosting potential and and what they need to do in order to host uh, because it is certainly uh, a possibility because of what Tennessee was able to do against Kentucky west kind of two things stand out to me the offense stayed hot uh let, let's go ahead and, and get that out of the way I, I know sunday was was ugly that was just a weird day in, in general you, you had a two-hour rain delay weather delay right there in the, the middle of the third inning uh and i'm I'm not at all using this as an excuse as to to why they essentially got run ruled 10 to nothing but they did hit into some bad luck i mean th- that that I mean, that, that is a thing that happens in, in baseball. And that doesn't mean that all of the at-bats were really, really good and, and they just had this incredible amount of, of bad luck. I'm I'm not trying to say that that is the reason Tennessee did not score a run. But, I mean, they, they tallied up the hits. I believe they had eight of them. They were getting guys on base and then for whatever reason they could not come through with hits and in, in scoring – with runners in scoring position. And, and a couple of them – there were lineouts to the third baseman with, with runners in scoring position. Uh, Christian Scott hits one to the to the wall that he absolutely smoked, and it looked like it was about to be a three-run home run. And the, the left fielder, he didn't rob the home run. It probably would have been a double or a triple and, and scored two runs. But he goes back and makes a terrific catch on it. Uh, there, there were several instances like that of, like, yeah, it was frustrating to watch if you're a Tennessee fan because it's like they're leaving two runners on base Literally every inning after that weather delay, and they they're able they're unable to to come through, but they they were getting the bat on the baseball. They they were barreling up baseballs. They just didn't really have anything to show for it. And again, I'm I'm not at all trying to use that as an excuse, but uh, I I guess I guess what I'm, I'm I'm pointing out is like there were some ugly losses in the beginning of the season, Wes where Tennessee wasn't shut out, because that was the first time Tennessee had been shut out since it lost to Virginia in the College World Series nearly two years ago. It had been a long time since Tennessee has been shut out. First time they have been shut out at home since that same season when Kumar Rocker came to Knoxville, the day before the famous Evan Russell game, when Evan hit two home runs off of Jack Leiter, that was the last time they were shut out at home, over two years ago. Uh, but early in the season when they were struggling and, and not putting up a ton of runs, it it felt like the at-bats were non-competitive. It just felt like they were so far off. And that that's kind of been my point the last two weeks with that Sunday stinker in Athens. And I guess technically they also only scored one run on, on Saturday. And then this past series against Kentucky that Sunday where they got shut out, like, yes, there weren't runs on the board, But in my opinion, the the at-bats looked so much more competitive, and it wasn't just like a bad baseball team up there trying to produce runs. And I I think there's some stats that kind of lend to that when you look at what the offense has been able to do of late. Uh, After this past weekend, they've they've now recorded double-digit hits in 12 of their last 14 games, and they've also scored at least 10 runs in seven of the last 11 SEC games. And I think that speaks to what you and I have been talking about, Wes. Like, the offense has been really good the last month or so, but because baseball is is such a game of failure and such a quirky sport that does have an element of luck involved, you're going to run into those stinkers like you saw at Georgia and like you saw uh, this past weekend against Kentucky in Game 3. So that was unfortunate. But I, I did think overall game one and game two, I mean, they go out and score 10 runs each and the bats just continue to, to stay hot. And I think that's a great sign as we move into postseason and, and as the weather continues to, to get warmer.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because anytime you leave 16 runners on base, which is one short of a program record at Tennessee, like anytime you leave 16 runners on base, More often than not, you will have scored a bunch of runs in that game because you had runners on the bases all day. Like, like that's the 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 weird thing. It's almost like sometimes with football coaches with penalty yards. Like sometimes if you don't have any penalties, it's like you're not playing hard. I mean, you can have zero runners left on base in a game. But that means you, you never got anybody on base. Like, like, like you have to. That's part of the process, right? Like, it's that's just how it goes. And that's not to excuse what happened. But you know, you, you leave sixteen runners on base. That usually means you're putting yourself in position all day long. And so that uh, you can't call that a complete failure. You can just call it a failure at the back end. And. You know, I mean, there were times in that game where Christian Scott hit a ball that I I always laugh because I can usually – I mean, those of us who played the game can usually tell off the bat if a ball's gone or not, the sound, the trajectory. It's just one of those things. It's like riding a bike. Once you learn those sorts of things, like the sound and the trajectory, like you you can tell what's going to be and not going to be a home run. And so I laugh or roll my eyes all the time when people think that a ball's gone when it's like 50 feet short of the wall. The Christian Scott one that he hit into right center – It looked and it sounded 1,000% like a home run. Everything, everyone in the park, including Kentucky's outfield for a while, thought that thing was leaving the yard. They were a little surprised it didn't, and it just held up right at the wall. I don't know what it was, if the weather was, you know, it just started raining again a moment ago. Maybe the wind shifted in with the storm coming in. I don't know what it was, but it was just a bad luck deal. Now, Kentucky hit five balls out of the yard, and Kentucky doesn't hit home runs ever. So you can't say that that it – you know what I mean? Like you can't excuse the fact that Tennessee kind of hit all these wall bangers and all that stuff. Like they just didn't – they they didn't have that extra oomph. They didn't barrel it right. They didn't – I mean, you know, you, you can't – if you hit the ball well enough for a home run, more often than not, you're going to get a home run. But they hit. I mean, there was a couple of line drives right to the third baseman on the line and on the ground. That's bad luck. Like all you can do as a batter is square up the baseball and hit it off the sweet spot and hit it hard and and usually on a line somewhere. And if it you don't, if you get out, you get out. Like that. That's that's baseball. So I, I don't. I'm not making, and I wrote that day, I'm not making too much of it because if you went to Tony before the series and said, here's a 2-1 series win over Kentucky, he might not publicly accept that because he'll be like, oh, we want to sweep here. We want to win every game. Privately, he'd be like, hell yeah,
1: take that. No, well, he, he's – I I said this recently on the podcast. Like, the, the goal – people who are somewhat new to baseball th- don't understand, like, the goal every weekend – is to win series, not sweep series. That's nice. Like, yeah, you, you want to win cool. every baseball yeah. game. And you, you never want to settle. But the objective is to win SEC series. Because if if you stack series wins on top of series wins, then you are going to end up where you want to be at the end of the season. So even Tony has said that time and time and time again over his six years. Like, the goal is to win series on the weekend, yes, you want to sweep because you 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 don't want to settle, you you don't want to be content. You want to win as much as you can. You, you want to sweep for sure, but the the main objective is winning a series, and, and that's what Tennessee did against a a good baseball team over the weekend.
0: Yeah, and, and like I I wrote and I believed it that that there were fair concerns like you know Drew Beam had a second consecutive bad start. That is. A concern because there's a track record whether it's fair or not this is what happened last year and it never returned uh, until the next season started so um, that that's a concern Blake Burke has been in a rut against SEC pitching especially lefties that is a concern Uh, he did not have a big day to kind of lift them in a day when they didn't have Jared Dickey with his right shoulder injury that was a concern there were some concerns from that game, but they were not new concerns. They were just continuations of old concerns. There was nothing new in that game Sunday that rang alarm bells for me. It was just a bad day, and it was a bad day in a good week. So I think perspective is is the key here. If you win an SEC series against any team in any park, you've had a good week. You've had a good weekend. That's what you want to do, and and I think – the way that it ends kind of, yeah, you know, it it is kind of a turd in a punch bowl, but you know what? It it doesn't matter. Really? You won the series. Now it it could matter because if you had swept Kentucky, then you have a better argument to say that you should be maybe a regional host at least, or over Kentucky, because in any park you swept them and you finished ahead of them in the standings and yada, yada, yada. Um, But now they're a game behind a couple games behind Kentucky again, or one game behind them. And, You know, you'd like to bump up a little bit in the standings. You'd really like to have a good weekend this weekend so you can, you know, put yourself in the mix there. But the bottom line is Tennessee has won what I think 13 of its past 16 games or whatever it is. Like Tennessee is playing much better baseball than it was at the beginning of the year. Tennessee is a team that will be difficult to eliminate in the postseason. Tennessee has. This team has maybe not ever been quite exactly what we thought it would be to this point anyway, but it has gotten better, and it is in the mix, and it is you have a team going toward the postseason that you feel like you can go compete with. And and it's mostly, other than Dickey, a healthy baseball team, even with getting guys like Zach Joyce back. So things there is a lot more good than bad, in my opinion, right now, Ben.
1: 1,000%. I mean, Tennessee is playing good baseball right now. Uh, I, I don't – I think casual observers of the sport of baseball, I, I don't think they understand how difficult it is to sweep in the SEC. like it, it is it is a really, really difficult task uh, because there is so much talent in this league and um, there are obviously at times teams that you can just absolutely steamroll bad baseball teams. Uh, like Ole Miss this season, or, or Mississippi State at times, but even as bad as Mississippi State is, and they're probably about to to miss out on Hoover for a second stri- second straight season, have to win national championship. They they, I believe it was in Baton Rouge, went down to Baton Rouge and took two or three yeah. from the, the the team that has gotten the most hype out of anybody. Yeah, because the, this don't, entire they got, season they ain't
0: got bullpen, they ain't got a bullpen at all. That's a problem.
1: So I I don't I don't, I don't think people realize how difficult it is to to sweep and, and again it's not that you're you're settling or or anything along those lines it, it's it's more of a realistic expectation kind of deal and if if tennessee had lost game one or, or game two and then they showed up and got pounded on the the way that they did in game three then this is obviously a, a completely separate conversation, but they accomplished their goal over the weekend. And that was to pick up a series win over a good baseball team and, and improve its chances of hosting. And they did exactly that. And, and like the, the talk about Tennessee needing to sweep Kentucky, uh, needing to sweep South Carolina, it's kind of been mystifying to me because you, you, d- you didn't have to. Yes. It helps. Obviously you, if it, like you just alluded to and outlined like if Tennessee wins that third game, then they're sitting in even, better position but it, it was like people felt as if Tennessee had to to end the the season on this magnificent magnificent winning streak and, and that's just not the case like Tennessee just needed to win the series against Kentucky which they did and now they need to go win the series just two of three from South Carolina on the road and it's in prime position to host maybe you need to make sure that you don't stink up the joint in Hoover on Tuesday and as long as you as long as you don't do that then you're going to be hosting in Lindsey Nelson Stadium here in just under two weeks. So they got the job done. You did mention it. I was actually about to go there next as well. Uh, there were a couple of things that were concerning, if you are Tennessee, uh, more so than than the runners on base, I guess is the ultimate point that I was, was yeah. getting to. Yeah, that was frustrating. But the bigger issues uh, is that offensively, at least, Blake Burke continues to struggle. Uh, And it's not just a a recent stretch of struggles. I mean, it's been uh, all conference play long. It's been throughout SEC play. Uh, He's slashing 223. uh, That's a batting average, 347, which is the OBP. And then the slugging percentage is 379. So he's slashing 223, 347, 379 in 27 SEC games. He has five home runs, 11 RBIs. And Blake Burke in 27 SEC games has one double. And uh, I, I, I'm i not bringing this up to criticize him or call him out and, and and make it seem like it's all on him or something along those lines. But uh, you you talked about this on the last podcast. Blake Burke has such a, a significant talent. And if Tennessee is going to, to reach the – the heights that it possibly can. It, it doesn't fall just on Blake Burke, obviously, uh, because baseball is such a individualistic sport to a certain extent. But they need Blake Burke to 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 play to his potential. He goes 1-for-13 uh, against Georgia last week. He goes 2-for-10 uh, against Kentucky. He's hitting in that 4-hole, so he's coming up with runners in scoring position more often than not, especially with the way that Maui Ahuna has been swinging the bat of late. Uh, Hunter Inslee's kind of been cool since that first game at georgia i i don't have he's also, specific numbers he,
0: he's hit he's also hit the he's squared up the ball a few times and just gotten some bad luck too that's just that's just how it goes i think
1: he he has but he's also bounced into a couple of double plays uh, w- with runners on, on base but mal or M- maui's been getting on base and, and hunter insley's having a terrific season and we'll see if jared dickey can play th- this weekend we'll have that conversation in a second but if he doesn't, then that just even heightens the importance of Tennessee needing Blake Burke to to be Blake Burke. Tony Vitello's talked about it uh, in his last couple of media availabilities, uh, talking about kind of how he's running towards the the baseball as if he's a slap hitter in softball and, and not really staying in the box and, and within himself because he's, he's putting too much pressure on himself. Uh, he's, he's a little too anxious in, in there. Uh, and when he stays within his legs, as Tony described, kind of stays cemented in the box uh, like he did against Belmont on Tuesday night. He had a good night against Belmont. He, he stayed in the box, stayed within within himself and was able to make really, really solid contact. Wasn't pulling off, wasn't out in front reaching for pitches. Uh, so if if that can be a, a nice boost in the rear end to to send him into this weekend, his performance against Belmont, that would be big for Tennessee. I I still think it would be wise for Tennessee to to maybe drop him a couple of spots in the lineup just to maybe give him a, a fresh perspective and maybe take a little bit of the anxiety or or, or maybe some pressure that he's feeling uh, away. Just just I know it sounds weird because it's like a batting lineup, but just a change of scenery of sorts I think would almost do him uh, good. And also like for Tennessee, like I hate that the situation is what it is for Blake Burke. Ah, uh, because I like the kid, but he, he with the way he's swinging the bat, Wes. You, you can't continue to put him in situations, important situations in these big time baseball games with with runners on base and him continue to swing the bat the way that he is.
0: Yeah, that's one of those situations where I sort of default to the head coach, and I'm not saying that that the coaches are always right because I think when they're wrong, I or, or when I believe they're wrong, I always say it just because I mean it's. My, it's our job is to be honest about things. But but I, I think he – I know Blake Burke a little bit. You know Blake Burke pretty well. Um, and and Tony Vitello knows him really, really well. And, and, and that, to me, there are some guys who would respond really well to that, and that would take pressure off them. There are other guys who would either irritate them or get in their fields or – you know, get them a little bit feeling a certain type of way about themselves that isn't good. Everybody handles those kinds of situations differently, and I don't know at all whether it would help or hurt Blake Burke. I really don't know. I don't know how he would handle it. So Vitello might be thinking, you know what, I, I might make it worse if I do this to him. I don't know that. I'm, I'm just I'm talking out loud here, but I don't know how he would handle it. But at the end of the day, I think it was interesting. Because when Dickey went out there on and he wasn't in the lineup Sunday, wasn't in the lineup Tuesday, that was an opportunity for Vitello to really get kind of a fresh slate and kind of if you wanted to make some moves, you could use that as your excuse to make them. That well, Dickey's not out there and that changes the whole balance of the lineup. Then you could kind of quietly move him to five or six or seven, do something, and it would be, you know, but instead he just pops him in the three hole. So it kind of like all right, kid, now you're not the four-hitter, you're the three-hitter. So, you know, I, he probably knows better than we do. I mean, I'm just guessing that. But but it's it's interesting to me because I, I think he could have done that differently, but he probably knows his guys and knows what he's doing. But no matter where Blake Burke's hitting the lineup, he he's got to hit the ball the way, at least closer to the way he's capable of. If this team wants to, like, you know, get to Omaha, it's going to need him.
1: It definitely will. And another guy that Tennessee is going to need is is Drew Beam. That was the other concerning aspect of, of Sunday's game. Uh, Drew Beam struggles for a a second straight weekend, and that one was a little more odd, Wes, because uh, Beam has been really good at Lindsey Nelson Stadium this season. He entered this weekend, this past weekend against Kentucky, uh, having allowed. Uh, seven runs in 25 innings at home. That's compared to 14 runs in 13 innings on the road. Uh, So he had given up twice as many runs on the road in half the innings compared to his home starts, and then he can't make it through the second inning uh, against Kentucky because Kentucky scores four runs on five hits in 1.2 innings. Uh, He walked one and and didn't record a, a strikeout. Uh, and he just did not have command. And and he it wasn't that he didn't have command in the sense of he couldn't pound the, the strike zone. It was in the sense of he was just leaving fastballs over the middle of the plate. And Kentucky, like Georgia did, was barreling them up. And, and Tony talked about that following his start on Sunday. Uh, Drew Beam is at his best when he is dotting the fastballs inside and outside, to to righties and lefties. He's got to paint the corners Um, because, I mean, he throws hard, 94, 95, mid-90s. Like, that is hard, but baseball has evolved now to where that's not what it was 10 years ago, mid-90s, even upper 90s, 97, 98. Like, that doesn't really phase even college hitters, some high school hitters, because they're playing year-round, they're they're seeing high velocity a ton. It's why you see these crafty lefties or or even these righties that, that don't throw as hard come in and, and have success because it is completely different than what they are typically used to seeing. So Beam not having the, the velocity that would have been excellent a couple of even a couple of years ago if if he's not dotting that fastball he gets in trouble, and he was just leaving them over the middle of the plate, and I I think it is a a small sample size to a certain extent. It's mostly just two starts. I know there's also the Arkansas start, um, but that was over a month ago at this point, I believe, and he he had been mostly good up until that point and, and has delivered some big starts as well when Tennessee was looking to avoid being swept, uh, LSU, Florida. Um, so I, I, I don't think that really changes need to be considered. And we're about to get into a different conversation, which is where I'm leading you, Wes. But I want to go back to something that you said earlier in terms of like this is the second straight year that he's tailed off. And I disagree slightly. We'll see if this proves to be a, a like a two-week thing. I think if he pitches this weekend against South Carolina, I think that this will be a very telling start. But I do think if he has tailed off, this season, like it may look like he has, I do think it's for two different reasons. Because last year, as a true freshman, as you know, he had not really thrown in forever. He had Tommy John in in high school. I think it was Tommy John that cost him his junior year, maybe. And yeah, then it was COVID. like a
0: partial Tommy John or something. Like it was yes, it, it paired was, with yeah
1: that COVID season, so he had not pitched. <laughs> he had pitched, but not what the SEC demands of a, a weekend starter, and and so kind of his body failed him last season. It wasn't necessarily him; it's just he was a, a freshman and, and new to SEC baseball. This year, it's it's not his body failing him because he's healthy and he he's built physically. I mean, he's a terrific athlete. It's the it's the lack of command that is not there that was there at the start of last season last year it went away because his his body was not ready for the week-to-week sec grind because of what had happened to him in high school unfortunately this year he just lacks command and it, it's probably something mechanical i think the only
0: reason that i mentioned the tail off last year there's a couple reasons one because it's obviously something people are going to at least think about because that's all, I mean, it's only been, this is the second year he's been here, but since he's been in Tennessee, it's been the only thing that's happened this time of year. So, so that's a, that's a natural thing people are going to think about. But the other reason is I, I would like to see the, like the track man or, or, you know, jugs numbers to, to, to make sure that, that I'm right about this. But the problem that I had on Sunday was that it didn't just feel like he was missing spots it also felt like the fastball was a tick or two below what it normally is. Like it was coming in a couple miles an hour slower than it normally does. It was the combination, and maybe that's because he wasn't – he was having some command issues and was trying to take a little bit off it, which is natural, to to spot the ball better, and that's, that's fine. But, you know, I get totally why Frank Anderson was adamant about trying to add a cutter into Drew Beam's repertoire because when he's not right – like when other guys are not right, they are walking people. When Drew Beam is not right, he is leaving the ball in a spot to get panked and it gets panked. Like when he is wrong, he hit, he, it's not that he doesn't miss bats, he doesn't miss barrels, he doesn't miss sweet spots. Like it seemed like it was a, just a conga line of just bam, 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 bullet, bullet, bullet. And even some of the outs were loud, loud outs. And, that's why i feel like they were trying to add that cutter into the mix to give him another chance to at least miss the barrel and get a, get some weaker contact. So i i understand that. My 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 problem is like it, Kentucky is a team that kind of kills you by like nicks and cuts normally, but they were just ripping the ball off of him. And we've seen that a couple times this year where Beam has just gotten, i mean, ripped. And and that is That is an issue because you just things mean more this time of year. And you know, you 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 can't trust guys as much because if a guy is getting squared up, that means they're seeing him well, that means he's missing spots. That means you got to get him out of the game. And I, I I just I am and I think I've I think everyone who's listened to this podcast or has written stories for the past years, I've been more bullish or as bullish on Drew Beam as anyone. I have defended him when others have brought things up. I think he is exactly mentally what you want in a pitcher. And I think physically he's just continuing to get better and better. Um, but I would have extreme reservations about keeping him in the weekend rotation or the three man rotation right now. I would, I'm not saying I wouldn't keep him in there. I'm saying at the very least, I would have extreme reservations about doing it because the past two times we've seen him on the mound, uh, he's gotten just absolutely ripped. And in this time of year, when you're trying to make plans, you really would like to get at least five, six innings out of your starter. And, and right now there's just no, I don't know how you can have high confidence that drew Bean's going to go into Columbia and do that for you right now. Maybe he will. I hope he does for his sake for everybody. He's a great kid. I, I mean, that would be great. I just right now, uh, and this is a, someone who's been behind him as much as anyone his entire career and thinks he's going to be a really good pro and all these other things. Right now, uh, something, something ain't right, and they got to get that figured out.
1: Yeah, we'll see what they do this weekend. Uh, by the time that this is published and out there, the podcast that is, I'm sure the weekend rotations have have been revealed. And from my understanding, Tennessee is going to go with a TBA rotation on saturday for game three a to be announced so uh, it, it doesn't seem that drew beam is a lock to pitch on saturday now i don't think that he is tba on saturday or tennessee is tba on saturday because drew beam is has been struggling these last two weeks i i know that baseball i know that college baseball obviously it's 50, 60-game sprint compared to Major League Baseball to where it's 162 games. So there's a little, not a little, there's a lot of less room for error in, in college baseball. And, and uh, the, the season is is so much shorter. But there's also an element of players struggle in baseball just because it's a, it's a game of failure. Hitters go through ruts. Pitchers go through ruts. And I said earlier, like Drew Beam has more – really good quality starts than he then he has bad starts like the past two weeks so to a certain extent i know that college baseball has a lot of days off during the week compared to major league baseball but it's still relatively a small sample size the the games are more important because there's less games but it's still a small sample size and i i still trust drew beam in a start more than the other options to start. Not Andrew Lindsey or Chase Dolander, but I'm not messing with Chase Burns out of the bullpen. I'm I'm leaving him there. You have found a role that he is thriving in. Yeah, you don't do mess with don't, don't
0: mess with him twice. Don't do, do it. Not mess with
1: him whatsoever. I I've always been a proponent of of Camden Sewell being the fourth starter, but I've just given up on that being a thing because Tony Vitello loves him out of the bullpen to get them out of a jam late in games or to close out a game. So I might, I might want that, but it's not going to happen. So it's, it's not even realistic to talk about Uh AJ Russell. I think starting is probably in his future, especially next season to, to replace an Andrew Lindsey and a, a chase Dolander. But I would, I trust drew beam more than I trust AJ Russell right now. And, and, maybe that's unfair to AJ Russell because he hasn't been thrown into the fire and, and and we don't know how he will react but like i i that's why you see coaches in every sport go with what they know because that that's kind of a scary thought of of throwing somebody into a key situation without knowing exactly how they're going to react yeah we think we know but we don't actually know how AJ Russell may do in a start and like he's been really good in conference play but he, it's also been kind of in situations that aren't super, super tight baseball games with, with the game on the line. And again, I think that he will thrive in those situations if he's given the opportunity. And I, I think he will be given the opportunity here shortly. But we still just don't know because it hasn't happened yet. And again, I still think it's somewhat of a small sample size with Drew Beam. Seth Halverson, if, if you are going to go with somebody else... Than drew beam seth halverson would be the guy for me because he has starting experience in this league he is the the combination of the guy who is most healthy slash not uh most healthy and and also producing I, i know he's had a couple of of rough outings uh mixed in over the last month or so but he he feels like the guy that that's the best combination of being productive and, and also healthy out of all the other guys. Uh, and he has a four pitch mix that I, I think absolutely translates to, to being a starter as well. But the last point about the, the Drew Bean conversation and, and Tennessee going to be announced for for game three this weekend is. And this is more so the point that I'm making when I say that I, I don't think that it's TBA in game three because drew beam has struggled the last two weeks. That, that may be a part of it. I mean, that, that kind of is the, the writing on the wall, but I, I think the main thing is Tennessee may be playing on Tuesday in Hoover. And, and that single elimination game in Hoover may be what decides Tennessee is hosting or not. And if you win the first two games in Columbia and, and you need to, so, I mean, guess I guess technically you can make the point that you win that game three and you're also hosting. But there's also going to be that SEC tournament game is going to be very, very important. So I think there's also an element of potentially maybe giving Beam an extra day or so to regroup and then throw him into that single elimination game. And I kind of like the thought of that, Wes, because, again, out of all the other options, I trust Drew Beam the the most at the end of the day even despite this small sample size of of rough stretch of, of pitching these last two weeks
0: yeah I mean you could make an argument that maybe like even with the turnaround like if 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 Lindsay for whatever reason Thursday doesn't go right and he's out after an inning or two you maybe could go to him on Tuesday if he doesn't throw a lot of pitches Thursday like you have all kinds of scenarios that are in play um, but it, I, 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 I agree with you on many fronts there. One, I do wish it was Cam Sewell, and I know that it won't be, but I wish that it were. And that's just my opinion. <clears throat> I also think his stuff translates better as a starter because of just the way his stuff is and the way he kind of builds on outings. and I, I just, you know, that, that but whatever, that's not happening. Um, but but I, I, I do think that how those first two games go, as much as anything will determine who's going to be the starters that in Saturday because of what they need both Saturday and Tuesday in order to give themselves a chance to host. So yeah, that's, I agree with you there. That's that's my point is that I agree with you there. I I think they, I think it would be because of, they don't know exactly what they're going to need in that final game and Tuesday in order to maybe host.
1: Yes. I, I think that is 80%. The reason that that game three is TBA, I, I think there, there's probably a little bit of, OK, Beam has struggled the last two weeks. Maybe let's give him an extra day or so. Keep that as a possibility. But I think the majority of the the TBA decision, I think you just simply put the nail on the head more so than me rambling for for five minutes is let's see how the first two games go. And see what you need from, from that point on. I think that's the big thing. One, two other quick things that I want to mention before we hit a break. Uh Bean may have struggled, but Wes, Andrew Lindsey and Chase Dolander, they they were good. Lindsey was terrific. Career outing and innings pitched, uh, pitches thrown. And that's at Tennessee. Um, at, at Tennessee, not at Charlotte. But Lindsey was really good in that game one win. And and, and you know, Chase Dolander wasn't great in, in game two, but he was good.
0: Yeah, he was. He he he. Again, it just feels like something. I don't. I don't know what it is about this this season, but he, he's just people get amped up to face him because of the the resume and because he's going to be such a high pick. And you know, there there's just he's run into some trouble in the first inning because people are really being aggressive against him, trying to put a ball up and out of out of the seats. And I, I I can understand parts of that. I really can. But I would also say that people are gearing up like that to face skeins and he's still just shoving it down their throats. So Dolander will be fine. He will be a pro for a long time. He is an incredibly good pitcher. He has all the character, all the stuff, everything checks, every box you could want. He's just not been at his best this year. His numbers are still fine. He's not been bad. Um, He's just had to battle. He's really, really had to battle, had to throw pressure pitches early. And it would be nice to see him start fast, get in a groove and really start to look like himself. And he's kind of had to work and build his way into outings. And by that point, his pitch count gets up, and then you you have to kind of play the game of when do you take him out or don't. It would be nice for him to have a quick inning or two to start a game and really get going because that's when we see how he can lean on and really, really hurt people. Um, but at the end of the day, it's results based. And he and Lindsay both got the results done. And I still think, um, the last thing I'll say before the break: the two names on this team that I think are going to be drafted much higher than most people think right now are Jared Dickey and Andrew Lindsey. I think both of those cats are going to get drafted a lot earlier than people think. I don't know. I don't think either is a first rounder, but second round would not surprise me at all at this point.
1: I, I agree. Lindsey has plus velocity. has some nice movement on his pitches uh he, he has a great makeup I, I agree with you there and and jared dickey speaks for himself and we'll, we'll talk about jared dickey after the break i do want to highlight real quick what the offense was able to do in game one and game two uh they scored 10 runs uh, in both games tennessee in game one had that big seven run uh third inning that that kind of sparked that big win hunter ensley hits a two-run homer uh dickey hits a solo homer griffin Merritt hits a three-run homer Kyle stark hits an rbi double and uh, that gives Tennessee uh, an 8-1 lead. And, and that was pretty much that game. Uh, and then in that game two win, uh, Tennessee scored 10 runs on 12 hits, uh, hit 300 with two outs, hit 474 with runners on base, 500 with runners in scoring position, uh, 400 with runners on third in less than two outs. Uh, the offense was really, really good uh, in those first two games to, to help uh, Tennessee get a much-needed series win over Kentucky Jared Dickey played a big part of the series win but uh we'll see if he's available this weekend and that's what we're going to talk about next here on the Diamond Balls podcast on goballs 247com
2: selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business
1: Welcome back into the Diamond Balls podcast on GoVols247.com. I'm Ben McKee joined by Wes Rucker discussing Tennessee baseball as we are in the midst of the final week of the regular season. And Tennessee has one very important series left to play before beginning postseason play next tuesday more than likely in the sec tournament but first before we continue our conversation would like to encourage you to go like rate and review the podcast wherever you do get your podcast from we would greatly appreciate that uh west first before we talk about jared dickey's injury let's highlight how awesome he was in those first two games uh he hit he had multi hits in in each of those first two games uh, and after that second game, a uh, professional hitter, Jared Dickey, as I like to call him, uh, he was re- responsible for all four of Tennessee's runs in that fourth inning when he hit the Grand Slam. Uh, and, and that was his second Grand Slam of the year. Uh, he, he finished with a pair of hits uh, while extending his conference hitting streak uh, to 15 games. He has now hit, like I said, extended his hitting streak to 15 games. Uh, that was the ninth time that he had hit uh, on Friday night that he had tallied three hits in a game the ninth time that he had done it uh, this season uh, and he has now had multi-hits in eight of his last 10 games so Jared Dickey continues to rake and rake and rake uh, but unfortunately Tennessee may be without him this weekend because he slides into home in that game two win uh, late in game two uh, and kind of bangs it up his right Throwing shoulder. And I think people are forgetting like Jared Dickey's lefty swinging the bat, but he throws with his right arm. Uh, So that is his throwing shoulder. And he he comes back out for the top of the eighth inning. And then in the bottom of the eighth inning, he is hit for. And and that was obviously, you thought it was a good sign at first that he was back in the field. And then it was obviously a bad sign when Kavar's tears hits for him. Uh, And turns out that he is going to be okay. It, It wasn't anything serious. Uh, There was a fear of him tearing his rotator cuff initially, uh, and then they go have MRI results uh, on Sunday or have an MRI, and the MRI results said that he avoided major injury, uh, and it's ultimately going to boil down to to soreness and rest for him, and late in the weekend he was having trouble, from my understanding, getting that arm, shoulder kind of above his head, Uh, but it seems as of Tuesday that had progressed in, in a positive way and if he is able to do something this weekend probably going to be at the plate um, because I I don't know that that shoulder is going to be ready to, to throw a baseball from the outfield that quickly so we'll, we'll see how ready he is I would imagine since it's a Thursday Friday Saturday series probably later in the series is more than likely since it's a, a quick turnaround um, but the good news is that they avoided major injury because I I don't know what this offense would would do without Jared Dickey. Not not that it's a one man wrecking crew, but my gosh, has Jared Dickey by far been Tennessee's most complete, best all around hitter? And, and honestly, people in the SEC in the country are not talking about him enough. He he may be the most underrated baseball player in the country.
0: Yeah, he might be as complete a hitter as there is in this draft class, and and. You know i I'd say with the injury, they will ice and stem and 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 try to keep going and repeating that over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, maybe even do like some cryo stuff or whatever they 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 will think of anything they can in order to get that inflammation down and to get that soreness worked out and to stretch him out. I would still be a little bit surprised if he plays in the field maybe for at least maybe the rest of the season. I don't know if he's gonna play in the field. Um, I, I'm just, I, and I'm, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. I'm just saying I, when he comes back, I'm guessing DH or pinch hitter or DH or something like that. Um, but it's a shame because, because his control of the bat right now, he's a left hander. So I'll go with, uh, I'll, I'll go with Rafa Nadal, like the way that he can take a, the ball, the ball comes to him and wherever the defense is, he's one of those rare hitters, who can just sort of put the ball where he wants to put it. The game has slowed down enough to him. Like, and he looks all weird and herky jerky and he's got all these weird kind of ticks and motions when he's in there. And it's, it never looks like he's calm, but in his own way, he is calm and he can look where the defense is. If they've played him over there, he'll just drag a bunt down third base, right down the line, or just poke the ball right down the line and get a single. Or if he places it well, even a double and, when he gets into an advantage count, he will absolutely drill a baseball. And when he gets down two strikes, he will sit there and shorten up a little bit and shoot the ball right through the middle. He can put the ball where he wants to, and very few people can do that. And it almost looks like a like a really good tennis player hitting forehands wherever they want. Like that—that's what he can do in the box. And that—that that is, it is having a guy like that in the middle of your lineup. It is difficult to express just how important that is and early in the season you know Dickie wasn't quite he was doing fine but he wasn't quite you know he got such a great offseason I mean if I tell a joke that they were thinking about having to like having have him bunt and do other things in scrimmages because it just wasn't even fun for a while he was just wrecking everybody and if you're wrecking Tennessee's pitchers like you're probably pretty good And um, then as he grew into the season and he's becoming what they need him to become. And that, that is important um, because he is crucial. And if, if resting him this weekend gives him a better chance to be healthy going forward, they need to do that. They need to do whatever that when, when games are absolutely everything is on the line, you want him to be as healthy as he can and available as he can. And that's going to come down to Jeff Wood and Quentin Eberhardt and all those guys. And I'm sure they're going to do, they're great at their jobs. I'm sure they're going to do right by him. Uh, He'll want to play because that's how he is, but they just need to, they need to have, they, the focus needs to be having him as fit as he can be when the games matter the most. And, and when your season's on the line and we'll see how he does, maybe he wakes up one day and just feels a lot better and he's good to go. But, um, those shoulders can be tough things, and it's unfortunate because my God, he is—he is really, really
1: a good baseball hitter. He—he he is, and he's going to be doing it for a long time. The—the the good news is—is is that on Sunday when he was leaving Lindsey Nelson Stadium, that—that uh, that shoulder may have been really, really barking, and it's still an issue, and and it's probably going to be something that he has to manage every single day for for the rest of the season, more than the the typical bangs and bruises this time of year, but. It it seemed to from Sunday to Tuesday, take a nice step forward uh, in terms of, of pain tolerance and, and mobility, I, I guess. So it, I I haven't gotten, you know, any any type of concern voiced to me that that he won't be back in the field uh, this this year. I think also kind of how many games Tennessee plays in in Hoover. Uh, can can have an impact on on that as well. That's like for Jared fair. Dickey's I, yeah, sake,
0: yeah. Like I shouldn't I shouldn't. Have, I mean, I, I probably shouldn't have been that strong about it. I just I have a concern when it's a shoulder like that that it it's hard to see it getting better enough to be able to re- rely on him throwing a baseball. But we'll see.
1: Yeah, we, we will for sure. Uh, but if if they do go one and done in Hoover and and Dickey essentially has all of next week off from from playing baseball from a team standpoint that would not be ideal but hey that's that's like two weeks in between Dickey playing baseball and and I think that that may be enough rest to where he could get back uh, in in the field but his bat's going to be back in the lineup at some point Um, there's not a need to be super aggressive with him this weekend although Tennessee's playing for a lot obviously yes you're playing for a lot but you're also going to be in the tournament, so so you don't want to risk further damage to where Dickey's not at all available for the tournament, whether you're hosting or not. So they'll be careful with him. And, and, I mean, Tony flat out said that it's pretty much going to come down to a a pain tolerance and soreness, how much soreness there is. And, and they're just going to have to manage it day to day uh, just because of when he, he injured it and because of how significant this time of year is. But Jared Dickey is one tough son of a gun. Uh, he he played through a, a pretty serious foot injury yep. last year when he came back. So he he does have experience playing through injury. Uh, so he'll 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 be back in there. And I I think the bigger question isn't if Jared's going to play. It's how effective is he going to be when he does play? Is is that shoulder going to hamper him to where he's not the hitter that he was before he slid into home?
0: And 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 what level does he have to be? at what percentage does he have to be in order to be helping more than he hurts like that's a it's a tough question to ask it's a tough thing to say but this is also you're playing for keeps here so he needs to be at a level where he can be helping his team and not just with his presence but with his physical ability and production
1: yep no doubt about it uh, Wes, we've been saying it a million times that Tennessee has a lot to play for this weekend. Uh, Tennessee isn't the only team that has a lot to play for. At, at one point, it felt like South Carolina was the best team in the country, and they have been bit by the injury bug pretty good the, the last month, month and a half. And uh, in their last 12 games, South Carolina is 3-9 and nine, uh, and 2-7 and seven in SEC play. During those twelve games, they they've really been going through it of late because of those injuries. And, and I do I, I don't want to say that their start to the season was like all just luck and the ball was kind of bouncing their way, but there there was more of a regression to the mean. Like they they were kind of playing more than their ability or potential may suggest, if if that makes sense. And they've come back down to earth a little bit. And, and that's not to say that. They're not a good baseball team. I, I think they are a good baseball team when when they're healthy, and they still have guys that can absolutely hurt you. But this weekend is is going to feature two teams that are desperate to to host because this recent stretch from South Carolina it felt like they were going to be a a top eight seed. Forget a top yeah. sixteen seed in hosting. They they felt like a top eight seed and would host the a regional and a super regional. But now, they, they might if they lose this weekend to Tennessee, I mean, they're, they're going to be on the bubble. They, they may flip spots with Tennessee, honestly, yeah. uh, in, in the bubble conversation. So th- this is a tough weekend in terms of the stuff you can't account for on paper. Like, the atmosphere is, is going to be a tough one. I, I was at Founders Park two years ago when Sean Hundley had that terrific strikeout to end the game. And, and I I think it was Ross Kivett, but you could hear somebody in the Tennessee dugout just dropping F-bombs over ESPN when Tennessee picked up that win. It, and and later that day, that was when Tennessee clinched uh, the SEC East title when Kentucky knocked off Vanderbilt. That was the Omaha year to end the regular season. It's, it's a tough environment, uh, I, and the point that I was getting to, that South Carolina team wasn't very good, and it was still a tough environment for a good Tennessee team. So this weekend... With all that's on the line, it's going to be a tough place to play. Tennessee hasn't played well on the road all year. It's well documented. And I've said a couple of times over the last week or so, I I don't think Georgia was as bad as the final result indicates. Uh, It it just felt different to me than the, the series earlier in the year on the road. I've detailed why. Uh, on previous podcasts. But still, Tennessee needs to prove that it can be better on the road and, and not really prove anything. I mean, it, it simply has to be better because at, at some point, even if you host, if, if Tennessee hosts and make it out, makes it out of a regional, unless there's an upset elsewhere that would allow them to host a super regional, they're going to be on the road and, and, and most likely at a Florida, at an LSU, at a Wake Forest, yeah. Somebody like that, like they're going to be playing to go to Omaha if they make it that far in a very tough environment. So it's not even about proving anything. It's the simple fact, like, yes, their season isn't on the line this weekend, Wes, but they're still playing for a lot. And postseason baseball kind of starts this weekend. And postseason baseball includes playing away from Lindsey Nelson Stadium. So it's not that the that they have to prove to themselves that they can play away from Lindsey Nelson. It's the simple fact that they have to, if they want this to be a successful season. Well, to to me,
0: if you're Tennessee and here's the stakes this weekend, you know, Kentucky's hosting Florida this weekend. So that's, that's another one of the three game series. That's a tough one for, for the cats, even in Lexington. Um, And, and Tennessee's obviously playing at South Carolina. So if Tennessee wins this series, If Tennessee can take it two of three from South Carolina, if that can happen, Tennessee will have as many wins in the SEC as South Carolina and Kentucky, and it will have beaten both of them in a series very, very recently. So you can make a really strong argument at that point that Tennessee would be more deserving to host than either Kentucky or South Carolina. Th- that's the sort of magnitude that we're talking about this weekend. Like I- I'm, a- I'm guessing that Kentucky's not going to win that series over Florida. It's possible Kentucky's a really feisty team, and you never know what can happen. Florida, when their pitchers miss the zone, they really miss it, and 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 they leave themselves open to problems. So Tennessee could finish as high as like third in the SEC East here, and and have the same number of wins as those two and have a better chance to host. That's how much is on the line right now. Like, that's how big this series is. Like, it could very much be the difference between hosting and not hosting. Like, I think Tennessee is closer to hosting than some of the projections have said, just because you look at the numbers, and they're close. They're really, really close right now. And if they finish pretty well, I think they can host. I really do think they can. And and so, uh, or they could, you know, lose this series and go lose one in Hoover, or have a meh week in Hoover, and they're going to be the number two in the regional somewhere. I mean, that that's what's at stake right here. And, and, and so, yeah, I mean, this is a big, big series. I do not know, Ben, just to be honest. I don't know what South Carolina's, like the health updates for this week. I don't know what they are. I'm sure you do. That would have a large impact on how I felt about this weekend.
1: Yes, and that's what I was about to get to next because, I, again, what, what I was saying is that, I, what concerns me from Tennessee's standpoint is that it's on the road and it's not just on the road. It's, it's in one of the, the toughest environments in the sport and that team is, is going to be desperate. That's what concerns me most. It, it's not actually about the matchups on, on paper because I, I do think South Carolina's lineup lacks a little bit of depth. Uh, they, they have some thumpers towards the top. Uh, that that can absolutely hurt you. Kind of like, kind of like careful. Georges
0: in some way. Like the top half absolutely. can really hurt that, you.
1: That's exactly what I was about to say. They they have Ethan Petry, who if Jack Caglione did not exist, everybody would be hyping up uh, Ethan Petry and, and rightfully so because he absolutely mashes the ball as a, a freshman. Um, but Colmasina Messina, uh, another guy that hits really well. Uh, Gavin Casas, who is a Vanderbilt transfer, he he doesn't have a high average, um, but. You look at his power numbers, and they are through the roof. It's really those three guys that that you really have to worry about. And there's other ones. Michael Braswell, their shortstop, yeah. is a very talented baseball yeah. player, but still young, uh, kind of like a, a Christian Moore, a middle infielder. Dylan Brewer, an outfielder who transferred from Clemson, has done some nice things for them this year. Uh, and, and then they have some guys at the bottom of the lineup who, whose numbers don't look great, but but you know that they have talent. Uh, in them because they do play at South Carolina, which is a good baseball program, but the the matchups on paper, like if I'm Tennessee, don't really. I'm it's not that I'm not worried. They but get like they it, get your attention. You should feel confident. I I, I think like the, South Carolina has some thumpers that that you need to be aware of, but from top to bottom, like their lineup isn't something that I look at like LSU's lineup. Uh, and I realize LSU's lineup is kind of an extreme example, uh, and maybe Florida's is too, but they're kind of the polar opposite of of Kentucky. Uh, they, they hit for power, and that's about it. If you remember, Kentucky did not hit for power, but did everything else well. South Carolina hits for power and doesn't do a lot of other things all that well so and ten, and they strike ten, out tennessee throws it hard ton. though
0: tennessee throws it hard which leads to more hard contact when it's there so that matchup That's is true, a little bit concerning
1: everybody in the sec throws hard um but they they strike out a ton they lead the sec in strikeouts at the dish and they've drawn the third most walks so they they do draw walks and and they have a nice obp uh, of 386 because they draw walks They're second in sacrifice bunts uh, though, those three things are really the only thing statistically that South Carolina does has done well uh, in, in conference play. And, and if you look at their numbers from an individual standpoint in SEC play, Ethan Petrie's is the only one that's really doing anything. He, he's the only person over 300. The second highest batting average in SEC play is Dylan Brewer, the Clemson transfer. He's hitting 273. And then Michael Braswell, the shortstop that I discussed, 268. Cole Messina, they're very talented catcher 267 uh, with 6 homers Gavin Casas the the powerful first baseman uh 244 but 7 homers and then after that third baseman Thomas Lacroix 226 Carson Hornan an outfielder 224 Evan Stone their their starting center fielder 216 uh Will Tippett uh, who's kind of a utility man been bouncing around a little bit uh hitting 191 uh, Caleb Denny, another outfielder, 211. Jonathan French, the backup catcher, 179. Like, their numbers, and the game's not played on paper, um, but Tennessee should feel feel good about those matchups, in my opinion. And then you look at the pitching for South Carolina, and there were already some concerns uh, about their depth, but now their ace, Will Sanders, who is one of the best pitchers in the entire country and and is probably going to be a, a first-round pick, if if not a first-round pick, then an early second-round pick. He is not going to pitch this weekend uh, because he is dealing with a lower body injury, according to Mark Kingston, uh, and, and it seems like they're being cautious to, to make sure that he's ready to go uh, for postseason baseball. But Will Sanders, their ace is not pitching. Uh, they have a, another kid who I'm not even going to try to pronounce his, his last name, Eli something, something, something. Uh, he's not pitching again for the rest of the year, and he's kind of been a young, reliable arm uh, for them. Will McGillis, an, another guy that they rely on, He's recovering from a broken arm. Uh, he, he hit for the first time in a game on Tuesday night when they lost to Charlotte, and, and then reaggravated the injury uh, and and left the game. Uh, and, and they they've got some hitters that are dealing with hamstring injuries. Like there's a lot going on on the South Carolina injured list. And uh, again, like they have Will Sanders, and they already had some some injuries that they were dealing with. Uh, as well. And, and that South Carolina pitching staff like uh, it's, it's kind of top heavy and, and they do a good job of not allowing walks. Tennessee leads the SEC in walks allowed. Fewest walks allowed. South Carolina is second. Uh, I think Tennessee's allowed like 88 walks in conference play. Uh, South Carolina has allowed 92. Uh, and, and because of that, they are second in earned runs allowed. Uh, second fewest. Uh, but they're tied with Kentucky and Vanderbilt. So it's more of they're in the top half than necessarily being second uh, alone, if if that makes sense. But their ERA is sixth in the league, kind of middle of the road. They're sixth in home runs allowed. Uh, and then kind of the the bad stats for the pitching staff is eighth in opposing batting average. Uh, SEC teams are hitting 273 off of them. Uh, they've allowed the eighth most hits. Uh, they they don't strike out a ton of guys. They're, they're, they're ninth in strikeouts. And they're tenth in doubles allowed. So – I look at the, the matchups on paper, and I really do think that they favor Tennessee West, but the the question marks, I think, is how does Tennessee handle the road? How does Tennessee handle the environment? How does Tennessee handle everything that it's playing for, which is hosting, which South Carolina will also be playing for?
0: Yeah, I mean, it comes down to it's not just your opponent, it's you, right? How are you going to handle that environment? Because, you know, and- Tony said it pretty well on Tuesday night. He said, there's no beating around the bush. We got to play better on the road. Look at the numbers. We need to play better on the road. And he's right. Like, you, at some point, if you want to win a championship, you can't just be a world beater at home. Like, you got to be good other places. And at some point, Tennessee's got to do that. This is an opportunity this weekend to go do that. And and I think it's – you can either look at it as a challenge or you can look at it as an opportunity, right? Those are the two ways you can look at it. If you look at it as an opportunity – I think that's the healthier way to look at it. Maybe you can go out there and do something. I mean, but but they, you know, they they've he thinks they played pretty well overall. Georgia, I I, I don't know if that's him just saying that. I still think there were a lot of things they did that weekend that weren't. I agree.
1: I've said it the last two weeks. I, I you
0: know I I'm 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 still not totally sold. Like they, he admitted like there's some things they need to do better in certain situations, but he said their mentality and approach was better. Okay, fair enough, like that. okay, but but now turn that into a little bit more results oriented, like go out there and and play well. Um, because South Carolina, I think is still like fifth nationally in RPI. This is a major major statement, potential weekend for Tennessee. Um, and, and it, it's a it's a way you can show, hey, listen, we're still here. Like you still gotta you still gotta deal with us. like you're you think we're not a bully anymore. like we we're, we can still bite you. And I think this is a good weekend for them to go do that. But um, they, they got to go do it, man. Like, it's going to be it's gonna be some loud environments. It's going to be some hostile. I'm sure it's going to be really humid and sticky just because it's that time yes. of year there. I mean, that, that's, that's going to be – I mean, game on, man. Like, if you're a competitor, right? I mean, we said it earlier, like Tuesday, there were a mini, million reasons for Tennessee to not play that game. It was not going to help the RPI no matter what. But Tony Vitello is an absolutely relentless, maniacal competitor. And that's just who he is. And you know what? This is another opportunity to go compete. And, you know, the best teams rally around that stuff on the road, man. They play their best when everybody's booing them and getting on them. And, you know, look, look to your left, look to your right, look to your guys in your color. That's your dudes. That's your dude. The dudes wearing your jersey are your dudes. You ain't got anybody else. You got those guys. Go play with those guys, and that can be enough.
1: Yeah, and, and I think Tennessee at Georgia had a different look to itself than it did earlier in the year as i've said a million times but just like tony said at some point you got to win like i i absolutely think they played better baseball than they had been on the road and just didn't really have the the results to show for it and and that's fine that one particular weekend but at, at some point looking better doesn't matter you you gotta go pick up wins when it matters most on the road so this is a perfect weekend to, like you said, Wes, to, to prove a point. Uh, and also, like we can talk about RPI and SEC wins and, and this and that, but something that can can maybe be a factor that that isn't on an Excel sheet for, for the committee when deciding who hosts is like, oh, Tennessee does look better. They just went to South Carolina, one of the, the toughest places to play in the country, and picked up a big series win. Like Maybe that's something that the committee values when, when they're trying to decide who is hosting and, and who isn't. Like, okay, well, maybe Tennessee has turned a corner because look what they just went and did before the SEC tournament. So I, I think that could potentially be a factor. And in, in the RPI thing and SEC wins, Wes, uh, in terms of hosting was the last thing that I wanted to touch on before we got out of here. Uh, Mike Wilson of the Knoxville New Sentinel, he was kind enough to share with me uh, some data that he put together, he went back over the last seven years and looked at the teams from the SEC that hosted and the ones that were at the 15 SEC win mark all the way up to last year's Tennessee team that won 25 conference games uh, and, and kind of the percentage and the tally of, okay, when teams made the tournament and had 15 SEC wins, this amount of teams hosted. Uh, and starting with 15, one out of the last 10 teams to get to 15 SEC wins hosted. So if Tennessee's 15 at 15 wins right now, correct or they at 14?
0: 14, 14 and 13, I think going to the final weekend.
1: Correct, which they need to get to 17. They need to get to 17 and essentially don't screw the pooch in, in Hoover. Don't 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 embarrass yourself in Hoover. Ha, ha, you don't have to win the thing. But don't have a short stay. Don't go one and done, and you, you pair that with a series win over South Carolina, and you're probably in. And and the numbers almost back that up. 15 SEC wins, one for 10 the, the last seven years in terms of yeah. teams who had 15 SEC wins and hosted. 16 wins, three of the seven teams have hosted. And I was surprised by this 17-win number. It's lower than I thought. Over the last seven years teams in the sec with 17 sec wins two of the six hosted i was surprised i, I thought that that ho- that number would be a little bit higher and then pretty much from 18 wins on is automatic yeah. uh there, there's only been one team in the last seven years last year's arkansas team uh is the only team to not host with 18 SEC wins, and then from there, it's automatic. I mean, 19, 20, 21, 22 wins, all those teams yeah, you're right. hosted. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think because of Tennessee's I, – I know that two out of the last six with 17 wins have hosted. that That's not a, a pretty number if you're a Tennessee fan, but I do think because of Tennessee's strength of schedule, because of their RPI, that is why Tennessee would have the edge with the 17 SEC wins, even if it hasn't been – a guarantee the last couple of years for teams and also like i, I do think there's an element west of of other teams that are on the bubble of hosting maybe needing something to fall your way here or there uh, but i i would feel good if i'm tennessee if i get to that 17 win this weekend in columbia and win on tuesday in hoover and i think you're hosting at that point and then if you can win this weekend and win in hoover in the single el- elimination and get that second win at Hoover. One of those double elimination games that you're going to play in. If if you do advance four more SEC wins and they're absolutely hosting.
0: Yeah. Four wins. I, I honestly think three might be enough if they, if two of them come this weekend in Columbia, but I think three would be right there on the border, but it could do it Four wins. It would be a pretty big surprise to me if they didn't host, if they got four more that, that to me would be, that, that would be hard to ignore. Uh, that would be very, very, very hard to ignore. It's not like last year when they had, what, 29, basically, because they had 25 regular seasons and, and four in the tournament. Like, you know, all right. But uh, if, they, if they could go get, you know, if they get four more, uh, I think, depending on where things go otherwise, I, I, I think they will have made a statement that, that maybe they deserve to host more than a couple other teams in the league. I think they – they, they could do it. I, I think they're they're closer than people think. Or they could go this weekend and screw the pooch and it won't matter. And they'll be going to Indiana State or, you know, Coastal Carolina or somewhere like that in the first weekend.
1: Yep. Uh, I lied. I guess you making that point made me want to bring up one more point uh, that you and I actually had a conversation about after last night's game uh, with potential landing spots in the NCAA tournament. I don't know if D1 Baseball has put out their projections uh, for this week. They they typically do that on a Wednesday. I'm, I'm checking as uh, let's see. They did put it out. Baseball America still has Tennessee going to Indiana State. Let's. I have not seen Baseball America's latest projections. Let's see where they or D1 Baseball's latest projections. Let's see where they have Tennessee. They have Tennessee. Did they have them going to Coastal? I scrolled past them because I got to the bottom and nope, not in Conway. Where are they? I th- did they have a mistype or am I just blind? Which is very possible. I, I did. They have, the, them, they have them. Two, they have going to Morgantown.
0: They have the number two in Morgantown with Notre Dame also there. Notre Dame being the first game. Boy, the the stories write themselves, don't they?
1: Yes, and, and I was about to say that that was almost my second bad podcast moment of the day because earlier I. I forgot that South Carolina does not touch uh, the state of Tennessee. Go check out the Goval's 24-7 mailbag podcast that the entire crew recorded earlier to to hear me sound like an idiot even more than you already know that I'm an idiot. Uh, But, yeah, West Virginia. And and the point that I'm getting to, Wes, and it's it's weird. It's kind of like reverse psychology in the sense of think about it. If Tennessee does host, which, yes, you absolutely want to. Um, The the conversation and and question that I'm bringing up, I'm not advocating that Tennessee shouldn't host, shouldn't want to host, but I I do find it interesting because if if Tennessee does get a regional host, they're going to be one of those last seeds that host. They're going to be 14, 15, 16, and Tennessee's field in Knoxville will be loaded will be absolutely loaded. I, I guarantee you they they will pair Tennessee not not purposely, not because it's rigged or anything like that, but just by the way the bracket works. The the first couple of teams not to host will be in in, in the fields with the last couple of teams to host. Uh so you you're, you're going to your your regional if you do host is is going to be really really tough. I would be surprised if it's not whereas if if Tennessee does go to Coastal Carolina. If Tennessee does go to Indiana State or, or West Virginia. Tennessee is going to be the main attraction in that regional, so to speak. Obviously, the the regional host in theory that's going to be a really tough team to put out, and you're going to have to do it on the road. But I I don't know that you there, there's going to be another difficult team, super difficult team. It is the NCAA tournament, but uh, that three and four team that that you'll be paired with probably not going to be what it would be if you're hosting at home. Like It's probably going to be Tennessee and the host team fighting it out, whereas if you're hosting, there's probably going to be more depth in in the regional, if that makes sense. So you want to host, especially with the way that this Tennessee team has played on the road, but I also don't think it would be the worst thing, as crazy as that sounds with how they've played on the road this year, I don't think it would be the worst thing because of the field that they would probably get for them to go play on the road. And if they play well in South Carolina this weekend, I feel even more strongly about that. Although I guess if they play, play good this weekend at South Carolina, they'll, they'll be in Knoxville and it won't matter.
0: Yeah, I, I, I disagree only in the sense that I, 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 I think something about the makeup of this team going on the road to play one of those mid-major programs in their own regional, like one of those super small ballparks where everybody's literally right on top of you, and that sort of environment just feels like the kind of environment I don't know that this Tennessee team would thrive in. Um, I might be completely wrong about that. I just that to me is like a situation that I don't think you really want to be in. You don't want to be in one of those little, <clears throat> one of those very, very, very small, like even much smaller than Lindsey Nelson Parks, where everybody's right around the field and on top of you and and up in your business and gets really rowdy because it's a huge deal for them to be hosting. I don't know if you're Tennessee. If you, if you, I don't know if this team wants that smoke, it might, but I, I don't, I don't know if it does. But, um, if this team plays the way it's capable of playing, it doesn't matter where they're playing or who they're playing. But I don't know that that's this team's ever going to reach that point where we can say that. So th- there might need to be conditions added to it. And the conditions, you know, it might be like they need to play at home. I, I don't know. We'll see. I, I just that particular part of the matchup would, would give me would give me concern if I were Tony.
1: I think this weekend at South Carolina will be very telling of whether they did turn a corner on the road like Tony thinks they did, like I think they did. If they go to South Carolina and just pee down their leg, then they're not going to be hosting. But my word, if if you're a Tennessee fan, you got to be concerned about them going on the road in the NCAA tournament. But if if they did turn a corner at Georgia like I think that they did, um and even like at LSU like I I know they won one of three I thought they played better in Baton Rouge than in Athens that's what I thought but yeah I I just I hate being that guy but I I really think they hit into bad luck on Saturday and I, I think it came down to those two errors on on Christian Moore in that fifth inning um but I, those two first two games in Baton Rouge were very, very competitive. Heck, even as frustrating as the losses were at Arkansas, like those first two games were still very competitive. Yeah. It was just frustrating because you felt like Tennessee couldn't get out of its own way. Yeah. But it, it was a competitive game, so maybe the the road record is a little misleading. But this weekend will be the the truth teller if they truly did turn a corner at Georgia, or if they they are exactly who their record says they are on the road it'll be very very telling but i i this is the best time of year for college baseball i, I know you love college baseball as as much as i do yeah. uh it's, it's been really cool the last couple of years to, to see uh tennessee fans not only latch on to tennessee baseball but latch on to college baseball as a whole it, it is a terrific product uh and this this time of year hoover SEC tournament, conference tournaments, the NCAA tournament. ESPN is is gonna. What, what do they call it when, when they kind of bounce around from game to game? Not rally cap oh, like the SEC network. Remember Chris Burke gets yeah, on it with Mike. Strike
0: zone, full zone, something.
1: Bun, squeeze play. I think that's what squeeze it is. squeeze play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Actually. And they bounce. It's it's my favorite thing that ESPN does of any sport. Uh, squeeze play, where they literally show all the baseball games. It's college baseball and, red zone. It's awesome. Yes, one thousand percent. And the day that tennessee doesn't play or i guess they play every game every day in a regional but well there's they it's like a four-day period so i guess technically there's one day that you either start on thursday or friday Mm -hmm. but the one day i literally do not move from my couch and outside of tennessee's game and and doing my work if baseball is going on i'm on the couch and i do not move and i'm watching it like i love this time of year and uh, it, it's hopefully for us covering it, it it's going to be a fun couple of weeks and in tennessee uh, allows us to have a, another month of college baseball um, but it, it'll certainly be fun but uh, my voice is starting to give out I, I can hear yours starting to give out so mine's been, I think mine's, gonna, been
0: mine's been crap
1: all week man all well week. We, we just recorded three hours worth of, of podcast we did an hour and a half mailbag podcast and, and now just over an hour of baseball podcast so um my my throat needs to, to take some time off yeah
0: i think that's probably a, a good way to put it and I, i'd like to if i can get these things added i'd like to get out and mess around in the and got some tomatoes to plant and such things of that nature it's moving from the greenhouse to the to the uh to the to the to the flower beds i i call that graduation day when they move from the from the greenhouse to the planter box
1: well we will allow you to do that wes we certainly appreciate you no problem man happy to be here For West Rucker, I am Ben McKee. Fun weekend in Columbia coming up. We will have live coverage on govalls 247com from Columbia Game 1 on Thursday night at 7 o'clock. Game 2 on Friday night, 7 o'clock as well. And both of those games will be streamed on SEC Network Plus. And then the finale on Saturday will be at 2 p.m. Eastern on SEC Network. You can watch that one on cable. You can watch it on TV. For West Rucker, I am Ben McKee. We hope you all have a great weekend
0: at govals 247com You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock. Got the checkerboard and the summit where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got, and You get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs. And that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial free. You get new movies, you get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, You also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that, for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. that—that That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one m- lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys.